You ever been walking through the Navy Exchange and wonder why all the Naval Pride and Heritage gear is horrifically ugly and you wouldn't actually wear it? Have you ever wanted some really cool gear and you just don't know where to go? Well, I got you, fam. Go to dgutsapparel.com immediately. Get yourself some Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Uh, we're working on new designs all the time, open to ideas. We're trying to create a brand that uh, lets you display that pride, but doesn't make you cringe. Uh, also, if you're willing to and you're able to, please go to patreon.com slash podcast. Pick one of the five tiers and become a patron today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast. This is episode 128. Uh, and today I'm talking to Commodore Jason Pittman. Uh, we've talked before, go back to the anomaly episode. You can get his background and everything. <clears throat> and uh, we did the, it's the CO suggestion box episode as well uh, that we did with him. So like he's, he's been on before and we've talked before, but this time around, um, he based kind of based on all the uh, Mick Pond memo episodes I've been doing. Uh, he wanted to talk about the kind of the state of the chief's mess, how he looks at it, uh, things of that nature. I wanted to ask him questions and get a, a high ranking officer's perspective on how they view the chief's mess, how they view the problems that, that, that it has uh, and, and like kind of get his perspective on some of those issues and, and see if it differs, like see where there's divergence um, he actually gave me a really great idea that we talk about, uh, about gray beards, which we'll, we'll get into in the podcast, but like gave me a really great idea to uh, try to implement that on the illicit side of the house. Um, so I'm going to start working on an idea for that, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it was really fun to get his perspective. Uh, he's always just a great dude to talk to in general. Um, and I think that you'll get a lot of value out of his, his perspective on these things. Uh, so yeah, I'm pumped to see the response to this episode uh, and I really hope you enjoy it. Check it out. Yeah, man. So let's, (laughs) let's get into it. I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Um, the whole, like, so like we were just talking a little bit before I press record, but like the, I've been going very hard lately uh, on the chief season stuff. And the, I mean, I, I have been historically too, but this chief season has been unique in that I have the two people that do podcasts for me going through the chief season. I also had a ton of other people like my LPO, my last submarine who I, I like put a lot of work into. He made chief. Um, let's see. God, there's so many people. Um, I don't know. There's a list in my head, but I'm still waking up. But like it was it was a, that one of those years where I just got all these messages and just like I missed some even when I looked at the list and I was just getting these messages. I'm like, yes, like everybody made chief. And so um, I've had a lot of interactions with chief selects, even though I'm retired uh, this year and, and been talking to them about their experiences and that kind of stuff. And that's had me all fired up as well. But um, and, and you've been fired up because I'm fired up. So I, like then we then we were like, oh, well, let's just get on here and talk about it. But. Um, first I like the, the first thing I want to get your, your viewpoint on is just generally like your interactions and experiences with the chief season, because there are aspects of it that the commanding officer is very involved in and invited to, et cetera. Right. Um, so just like what's been your impression over your career of like what the chief season is, how it's conducted and like what value added there is if there, if you pre like perceive there to be any. 
I don't know. It's a, it, it has certainly changed over the years. You know, when, when you're a, a young division officer, you're like, I don't know what the season is. Yeah. I just know that my first classes aren't around and neither are, are the gone. Chiefs. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. and, and granted that was, you know, the early two thousands where the season was a little bit different and it was very yeah. much like, yeah. okay, uh, for the next month and a half, there will be no khaki on the deck plate and we'll just figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I think we've I think we've gotten a little bit away from that uh, over the it's years, somewhat. And, and I would so say, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, like somewhat. I mean, I yeah. uh, I honestly I try for for whatever reason I always try to. That's chief stuff, you know. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. As a, as a CEO, I got involved in the sense of hey, here's your charge book. Here's what it means. Mm. Um, here's what I think about charge books. Um, you know, where I usually I'll talk with the chief selects. And mm. I'll show like, here's my little notebook that I keep. Uh, yeah, yeah. People who have said something that, that resonates or whatever. And so it's not just right. about the season. It's about always trying to write down stuff that resonates with you. Mm. And and I talk about how the season is a, is a built-in opportunity to go learn. Like yeah. You have this charge book and you're supposed to go talk to people. And this is an opportunity to go. It's like being a midshipman. Hi, I'm here to yeah, learn. Yeah. And you are, you're supposed to respect this and help me learn. And so go right. out, go talk to the people you can. Um, all the stuff that happens during the season, all the, the the team building and stuff like that, I think is it varies from year to year. Like we were talking it's about, just, you know, it depends generous, on depends on your region term. and how they want to put it together. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, team. I building. think the main thing. <laughs> That I team building, because uh, yeah. I've I've always said that you know hey um, we build chiefs every day and mm-hmm. so the season isn't going to magically teach you how to be a chief. Right. Um, it's not going to magically teach you how to be a good leader. Mm-hmm. I think it does provide some opportunities for some things that maybe you didn't realize it took to be a successful chief. Yeah. Um, I kind of liken it to. I often tell department heads when they're checking in, I say, the reason you, you decided to be, be a department head is probably because you were that superstar J.O. that mm. did everything. And, and, you know, you're the one that we could give any task to and you made it all happen. I was right. like, well, now you're a department head and you can't do that. Yeah. You have people <laughs> for that now. Right. And so I think the chief season kind of help helps open their eyes to Hey, you've been a superstar first class, and that's why yeah. you have been selected to be a chief. But there's different things about being a chief and having to rely on other people and that there's yeah. different ideas and different ways to approach situations. And I think that's what it's trying to help people understand is mm-hmm. that uh, being a technical expert is why you got picked. Uh, but now you have to learn how to lead, and that's a little bit different. Yeah. And I, that's one of my biggest issues with it is it's like whiplash is, is the two, there's two aspects to it where it's like, one, we've structured the entire system for these first classes to, to do exactly what you just described, like become these superstar individuals and everything from the ECPs and the board convening letters and precepts and everything are structured in a way that like, it's all individual achievement based, even though there's some suggestion like very mild suggestion if you read between the lines of your being evaluated based on the performance of your people, not necessarily your individual performance, but it's very individual heavy. Even at the selection board, we're evaluating you as an individual, even though we like to see things that that show that you're you're performing as a leader, obviously. But um, 
So there's the, that piece of it where it's like we program the whole thing. So you're doing a, on average probably a decade of this individual achievement based progression. And then we don't really develop them as leaders, I would I would argue, unless you happen your way into a, an exceptional mentor um, that prioritizes it, you're not really developed as a leader except just by accident. Like there's experiences that are going to happen that are going to going to lay parts of the foundation, but it's going to be a very shoddy like foundation with gaps in it. And then you get to the chief season and we just flip the script on you. And you're just like, it's not about you anymore. You'll hear that over and over and over and over again. It's not about you anymore. It's not about you anymore. And it's like, well, why was it about them when they were an LPO? Like if they're in a leadership position Mm -hmm. and they're running a division of people, it wasn't about them then either. It was just more technical heavy and less administrative and institutional. So it's like, why are we just now? And, it, and you see that paralysis at the beginning of the chief season. Like I call it a hard reset. You, these high performing first classes that are like sailors of the year and stuff. The beginning of the chief season, they're useless. They just like their whole brain just goes and they become mm-hmm. like these lost puppies that have no idea what's going on. And then you see morale hit a low about three weeks in. And then and it's like we spend all this time on that hard reset that we could have spent on leadership development. And it's like the chief season should be a finishing school. Like this is where we're just polishing it off, making sure you understand what you're about to get yourself into and then teaching you like the cultural and like the, like the specific stuff that is like unique to being in the chief's mess. But it's like, it's not that at all. We spend almost all the time, just whiplashing them into this ideology. And then once they get in, they spend the first year figuring out how the mess works and like how my chief powers work and like what my role is and all that kind of stuff. Cause like I, I have a, a ring somewhere in here where I bought like one of those chiefs rings that a retired chief made. Um, and it was like a year after I got pinned. Cause I finally felt like a chief. Like it was, I, I, I felt like I was faking it the whole time for, for probably the first year. Um, and it was the first time where I, I really felt like I'm like, okay, I really feel like I should be wearing this uniform now. Um, and so that's the, the frustration I have with it is that we don't I, like, I, like you, you mentioned it and I think that's what the ideal, but like, we should be doing this all the time. This should be a constant progression so that it's not, so they, you shouldn't be shocked by the chief season in the way that these people are like, part of it is the the fraternity rushing aspect of it where there's just a, the, the manner in which it's conducted is kind of ridiculous. But I think you could get over that if you understood the premise, but it's like, they don't, they go in and they're just shocked. It's like, they're just, we're flipping, flipping over the table and just going, none of that shit matters anymore. And we're like, wait a minute, then why did I just spend 10 years progressing to this point? You know? And it's like, yeah, exactly. It's a, and that's the thing is like, the, you know, we're, the frustration is the season. Why is the season the way it is? Yeah. And, uh, the, but I think the season has to be the way it is because we haven't done that training and that mentoring yeah. and that leadership development up to this point. And so mm. now it's like, ah, man, you're going to go be a chief and then right. uh, we're going to, we're going to hit redistro and you're going to be the dude. So uh, shit, yep. here's some just in time like, training oh, to try to get you ready. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like it's like a surprise horse or something where like like if you got a surprise horse, the whole chain of command like, holy shit, we need to run seven thousand drills right now. And it's like that like that's the, the exactly. feeling for six weeks. 
Yeah, and it's yeah, it's a oh oh shit, you're gonna be in charge. Here's a bunch of stuff I meant to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here's all the stuff I should have been telling you for the last ten years. Um, yeah, it in it it blows my mind that that's the way we approach it, and that's why I have such frustration with it. And then, have you have you digested any of the McPon memos, or, or have you just heard me ranting about it? Um, mostly you you ranting, but I have read <laughs> I have read through the McPon memos for sure. Okay, yeah, it's so the. That was my next frustration with it is like, and we talked a little bit before recording as well, but like the, I I feel like what we're seeing with those memos and there's more to come on the chief season stuff. I guess the, there's like a collectedness, collectiveness or something and connect or connectedness mm-hmm. and something out. There's two other ones coming and they're both C's of course, cause we can't just write what we f- think we have to like make it the same letter or make it rhyme or something uh yeah it's gotta be in a post format (laughs) yeah new acronym or um so the the stuff he's releasing i think what you're seeing is somebody who has risen through every level of this all the way up and i think he's a good dude and i think his heart's in the right place and i don't think he's dumb i just think he's not equipped because of the way the organization does things it's like he's he's like a glaring example of the leadership and confidence that is such a problem at every level because he ascended through a system that never prepared him for any level of the leadership roles he was in and now you're seeing him try to adjust to this role of like uh policy and like governing the whole thing and and trying to tell us who chiefs are and what we do and, and he it, to, in my analysis he's fumbling the ball and it's like i i don't think he means to i think i like i think he's trying to do the right thing i just think that it's it's being delivered in a way that is doing more harm than good. And if it's doing anything at all, like I think it's just kind of confusing people and pissing some people off like me. But I, I also think it's going to like fade into obscurity in the next three months because there's no policy behind it. There's no action behind it. And that's something that I'd love to hear your take on, too, is like. I've been railing for a long time about this shit needs to be in an instruction. Whatever that looks like, I don't really care. I would like to see an Admiral's Inc. on it, but like, because then it's like more permanent and official. But even if he gives a Mikpon his blessing to like write his own instruction and Mikpon signs it out just for the symbolism or whatever, I don't know. But it should be like an OpNav instruction or like a Bupersen, whatever, wherever it fits in. I don't know. But where it's it's policy driven, it's thou shalt do the following, because there's a lot of confusion within even the chiefs mess and not the selects, but the actual chiefs on what's even required. Right. Like the I've been flipping out about chiefs that are chief selects being selected and not wanting to participate in the chief season. There are still messes, including the SEL, that think it's optional. And but the rub is that the only reason I say it's not optional is because starting at McPond Stevens in the McPond guidance, which it was just a memo that he would put out on his Navy.mil page, said it was mandatory. It might have been Russ Smith, actually. I don't remember. But it's been man, it's been in all those memos for probably like five years. And Honies, it's not in there. And and there's no instruction I can go to. There's the Navy Leadership and Development Continuum mm-hmm. one. It's not in there. There's not even a mention of the chief season in there. There's like in like ELD and all the other crap, the SEA and all that kind of stuff. But there's like there's no formal guidance at all governing this process. I couldn't tell you what the training objectives are. 
Like, oh, we're just making chiefs into chiefs. Well, what are the trend? Tell me the learning objectives. I want a list. I, fucked if I know. You know what I mean? It's like I could point at the mission, vision, guiding principles because that's what's on our evals. But like, there's no like consistent uh, construct that's applied across the entire fleet. It's just kind of like up to the command SEL. Just make chiefs. Yeah. Like, so, so you'd fuck? like to see something. Uh, yeah. So Mick Pond's putting out a bunch of memos that are, you know, guidance and, right. and, and thoughts about what it means mm-hmm. to be a chief. Right. But you'd like to see something where it kind of lays out, Hey, here's what the season there, should look like. And uh, yeah, how we I should do it. I think there has to be, if you, one, if you're going to achieve anything meaningful and two, so that it's consistent across the entire Navy. I, I mean, it'll be, there would be enough room to adjust for warfare community and platform and stuff like that. But it's like, there should be some like significant parity there. Like I should be able to go to talk to a Navy SEAL or a CB or a, or an air wing sailor and like have a lot in common. And we do in certain ways, but in a lot of other ways we don't. And I've seen other seasons in other communities and they're wildly different, even though there's some consistency there. It's like the, no one could tell you what the real training objectives are. Um, they could tell you what they think they are and they're going to vary v- across every one of those examples. So it's like, and then the other reason is, is when it goes off the rails, it's like, because where's the guidance that says thou, thou shalt do the following. Like there's, in the Mikpon guidance, usually there's something, and I don't think Honey says anything about any of this either. He pro- but he probably sent out an email that may or may not have trickled down through the tree of SELs, right? About no mm-hmm. alcohol at training events and all that other kind of stuff. But like, there's no like place for you to go, or even better for selectees to go. You can't do this to me and point at an instruction and advocate for themselves. Right. But there's, when it goes off the rails, it's this weird gray area where like, Oh, well, we don't think that's ethical or we don't think that's right. And it's like, yeah, but just write the shit down. Like why, why is everything procedural in the entire freaking Navy? And particularly like you and I understand the, how strictly submarines are procedural compliance, formal communications, all those things. How are we how are we doing this every year? And there's no procedure, no policy, no formal guidance. That's what drives me absolutely insane. Well, I think it's uh, yeah, it's always slightly maddening that uh, all mm. you really get are the left and right rails. Like, hey, yeah. do not do these things. You know, to, you know, <laughs> don't don't have the alcohol and don't right. have the you know what's clearly hazing. Yeah. Uh, but then there's a lot in the middle, and there's I think it does. There's a lot you know, of wiggle think, room. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of wiggle room, and I think I think it's probably because of, as you kind of noted, uh, people in their various warfare communities want to defend the, how they see the world, mm-hmm. and so you're like, you know, your 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 surface warriors and your submarine warriors, like, oh, we, no, we're different, we're going to do it our way. Yeah, you don't know what we're not. like, and so I'm like, okay, that's fine. I think the real problem is that what we don't have, you know, to the previous discussion, there's no continuum of leadership development. Yeah. I mean, technically there is, but it's not, it's it for me, if you look at that instruction, it's like propaganda. It's like, Hey, look at all the good things we do. But in practical application, there is no leadership continue. Yeah. I mean, like, exactly. I would would like to see something. Yeah. Like there should be like this continuum of like, Mm -hmm. okay, you've made first class. Here Mm -hmm. are the goals. Here is how we should be developing our sailor. And the capstone should be the season. Right. Which means the season should be wrapped into 
what that looks like for the, the, the entire development of a first class petty officer into a chief should, you know, right. from the minute he puts on, you know, E6, here we go. And I know that there is yeah. some stuff and there's supposed to be, it, yeah, the, 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 there's the like, training. but it's a poster, but then, it's like a, it's like a pamphlet with all this stuff that most people don't get to do. And so it's like, cause all the, yeah, and it's, stuff and it's totally still, individually command based. Yeah. All the NLK LD stuff is basically optional, even though they're trying to put a mandatory mandatory to make rank, thou shalt do these courses, but they've been doing that with SEA for damn near 10 years. And it's still not actually a requirement because they waive it every year because the SEA doesn't have the throughput to get all those people through. So it's like, you couldn't promote anybody. And then we'd have all these gapped billets and it's, it's just like, I yeah yeah and the uh, and the the ELD courses are allowed to be hey get send some people through the instructor course so that you can then develop your own and teach it on board yeah yeah, yeah. okay is that is that really going to help us build a PON.rev too expectation yeah, yeah. it's PON.rev it's, a, it's not going to have a standardization yeah it's not gonna it's not even going to happen when you're giving the the people that are so overburdened operationally the option like oh PO, yeah do po in doc they're like or hear me out we could just have the admin people put it into uh what's the stupid um what's the program where they record training I, i'm so glad i'm dated I'm from fleet this temps fleet temps there you go i knew it started fleet with f <laughs> just put it in fleet temps and then we'll just frock everybody on friday and not uh, we'll do it later wink you know like and then they just don't and uh, even at the even when I was on my last boat, me and this other senior chief were trying to basically make PO and doc matter. And it was uh, like battle even to just get time to do it because it's supposed to be three days and you're supposed to have like eight hour days. And it's like we got like, mm-hmm. I think, 90 minutes each day for three days. And so it's just like, what are you going to get done? And I, I mean, we did what we could and had uh, meaningful conversations that hopefully like stuck with those sailors. But. Yeah, it's just it's impossible. Um, and then yeah, well, that, that's why it needs to be part of the the daily, the, which what we do every day is right. developing leaders. So the PO Indoc should be kind, and honestly, PO Indoc should be kind of a here's here's the ninety minute. Hey, you're going on I mean, to the next rank, but we've yeah. been talking about this. So right now, right. here you go. You're on to the next well, one, baby. Good job. And the here's the rub, though, for me is like when we say because a lot of people say that, like generally we should be talking about it and this is a thing you should be doing. But like in my analysis, the competence doesn't exist like we've no one's ever been educated unless you're weird like me. Like I go out of my way to like I got a degree in leadership and then now I'm doing psychology and I've been studying it, like reading books and doing it all on my own for a long time. And it's unless you're doing that on your own, the, or, the, the organization, like we just talked about is not formally educating any of these people to do that. So then you get somebody like the Mikpon saying, Hey, you should be doing the following chief. And it's like, okay, on top of all the other shit I have to do, holy shit, when am I going to do this? But also who, who trained me to do any of these things? Like I can't stand dive without being trained and qualified to do so. How in the hell am I going to develop leaders if you've never trained and qualified me to do so, even if it's on a daily basis and not like in a facilitated like forum of, of some kind of class or whatever, like something formal? It's I, I, I don't think the competence exists in in the like quantity that it needs to. And so it like because it would need to be like the mean, the mean level, the average chief petty officer would need to be able to do this stuff. And that's not real. I like and I know it, we're going to get to your experience recently with a lot of this, the chiefs that you you're in the position to evaluate. But it's it's 
I don't think it's a realistic ask right now. Like, because when you, when you see what I see during the chief season, it's like, it's just not, it's not real. Like, are they doing their level best? Sure. What do they, is their heart in the right place? Sure. But their level best is this is how we've always done it during the chief season without understanding what the learning objectives are. And, oh, it's supposed to be this way because this is what I went through, not understanding any of it. And sometimes even kind of hating it. But, well, this is the best tool we have in our in our toolbox. And it's just like it's fucking insane and it's not working. And so, like, I don't I don't think it's realistic to say that until we start educating and and qualifying these people to do it so then i would ask the question like how do we do that like because you you're in this position uh, where you would have to do a shitload of remediation first and that or like whether and whether that's like sending the act chief actual on the deck plate to get remediated or it's like maybe we bring in outsiders to do the remediation and they like hey read these books listen to these podcasts process this material and then we'll all get together and talk about it just kind of like the fleet CPO training team does a really great job of that where they put us all in a room and we go over some stuff and it's a facilitated conversation, but they, they do a great job of teaching those things. So it's like, well, what's the mechanism? Like, how do you even do that? Like, and with the operational schedules and manning and retention being what it is right now, especially it's like, how, how I, I don't even know how besides modalities like this, like, Hey, listen to my podcast. I hope it helps. Like, well, I think that's the thing is, yeah, it, it, it's um there's it's you know, we we are submarine centric um mm. but there's always too much shit to do yeah there always will yeah. be and right. so you have to just make it a concerted effort to talk about it you know i'm reaching mm. out to you going hey you seem fired yeah, up yeah. let's talk um yeah. and you know on my boat you know it's like hey we had to i said i'm going to sit down with my chiefs once a week and just talk mm. about why I'm making the decisions I'm making, the problems you okay. have with the decisions I'm making, you know, and stuff like that. Because, and but you have to carve out that time and you right. have to realize that it is worth it. Is it going to make mm. it harder? If I gave you two hours to do the maintenance, you would take two hours. So I'm only going to give you one hour. You'll probably still get right. it done in an hour. And now I'll have an hour to talk to you. And right. so I see so much where people are like, oh, I just it just can't be done. I'm just too busy. Mm. No, it turns out if I limited your time, you'd find a way. <laughs> well, and so so next question. So you as a Commodore, do you push that mandate down to like your COs? Like thou shalt find that hour a week to spend with your chiefs or similar like mechanisms? I don't mandate it. Um, okay. I, I do try to vigorously protect the autonomy of the CO to run his ship the way he sees fit. Okay. Um, now that said, there are certainly best practices and there are mm. indicators of goodness and indicators of badness. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the problem with leadership is it's so individualized. Like yeah, I can't give you, really I can't give you a procedure and say, do the following <clears throat> things and this will work. It's yeah. kind of like, uh, we, we all love operational fundamentals in the submarine force. And you, you'll see, you know, lessons learned. Hey, your AOPS should do these things. Your AOPS yeah, should do these things. Yeah. And, well, maybe your AOPS isn't as good as that boat's AOPS. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm very much in the, uh, in the camp of we have to evaluate based on the product and not the process because each process is going to be different depending on the personalities involved. But if it works mm. for you and your boat, okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I wanted to sit down with my chiefs every week because – 
the way I put it to them is like, hey, I'm going to make decisions and it's your responsibility to carry them out. Therefore, mm. I owe you the opportunity to tell me that my decisions are dumb. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, yeah. we have to, I, 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 as, I, as the captain, owe you that. Now, that worked with my boat. I had a good relationship with my chiefs. If that's yeah. not what's going to work on your boat, that's fine as long as we're still being effective. We're still getting mm. the, the mission done. We're still taking care of our sailors. Yeah. And so how do you deal with um, pushing it down as a priority, I guess? Like, do you just talk to them about like, hey, you should consider some type of modality of, of opening that line of communication or maybe like just make it a priority for these discussions to happen at, at the multiple levels or like, how do you communicate that to like your command triads on boats and, and try to get them to like figure out whatever, whatever way fits best for your command culture. This needs to be a priority. Like how do you go about that? Um, in a couple of different ways. I mean, I have, you know, commanding officer training every couple of weeks, okay. um, but by, by like every other Friday, Hey, all the CEOs that are in port come up to my office. We talk about things and some mm-hmm. of it are, is the, uh, you know, the, the classic, Hey, here's the memos that are out. Here's the messages. A yeah. lot of it is, Hey, what has gone wrong on your boat this week? What has gone wrong on your boat this week? Or what's gone right? What has gone really, really well for you? And let's pass on that stuff. And then I try to like point out when, uh, when there's things like, well, how do you go about that? And then they say, well, this is what I do. I'm like, well, how's that working out for you? And it kind of, it, it shows itself when you're like, well, do you do this? Well, no. Well, okay. Then maybe that's why you're seeing what you're seeing. Right. Interesting. That's cool. Like, so, is that, do you, yeah, do you it, feel like conversations like that are normal in, in like at your level or even the flag level where they're, they're pulling in COs or who, whomever and doing training or doing just like that type of those types of like discourses? I think so. I, I want to think so. I think every okay. Commodore, at least here on the East coast, you know, they mm-hmm. have CO training and we're trying to do those things. Okay. Um, I'd like, I'd like to think that we all approach it the same way. To your point, there's no real training on how to do it. Right. Uh, so it kind of falls to the individual on, uh, I'm like you. I love leadership. I love developing people. I've read the books. Mm. I don't have a degree in it. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I, I'm heavily invested in the development of people to be great. And yeah. so yeah. I'm going to bring my COs in and we're going to talk about it. And so right. I think most of the Commodores do that. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, because I, I, I worked on a flag staff. I didn't get to work at a squadron. And even if I had, a lot of times supplies kind of off in a dusty corner. So um, I don't know how much exposure yeah. I would have even gotten to that. But um, but at the flag level, it's not that it's not that I didn't see COs in there. It's just they were always in there for like some t- type of brief where they were providing the admiral information or the admiral was like correcting something, you know what I mean? Like an expectation or a, Mm -hmm. or a whatever, there was a problem. And so then it was elevated to his level. So it was kind of like, and I'm not saying it didn't happen. Maybe it did. I like, it's not like I was with him all the time. Um, but yeah, just, that's the, the impression I got, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. So with the chiefs, with your evaluation of chiefs, like first, generally, I'm just like over your career, like kind of what are some of the things that you've seen them do well? And what are some of the things that you've seen us uh, like kind of like falter trying to accomplish? And then 
which is a generous way of articulating it. And then, uh, like, how have you seen it change over time? Because now, obviously, you're in a position to evaluate a lot of different messes. So you're probably getting a much more accurate picture because the sample size is larger. But um, like, what have you how have you seen it change over time as well? I don't know. I think when I, you know, when I first came in and man, I'm getting old. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> got commissioned in, got commissioned in 98. So, yeah. um, and I think back then it was still very much, you know, hey, the, the chief's going to take care of you. The chief's got this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was, I think a, there was a lot of definitely a lot of technical expertise. The chiefs really knew what, how to do things. Yeah. The chief really knew how to, um, <laughs> You know, as we say, let's, let's do some chief shit. You know, it's like, hey, yeah. this one may not be in the book per se, but I'll get it to run, yeah. you know, type of stuff. I can fix it, sir, and, but um, I'm going to need you to look the other way. It, <laughs> right. You know, it's, I mean, it's 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 always been a thing um, yeah. cause sometimes because that's what we know that that is the truth behind when we say we got to learn to fight hurt is, hey, yep. you either got to learn to live without that thing yep. or you got to find a way to keep it going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hang a human. And so and there was a lot of thing. <laughs> exactly. There was there was a lot of that. Um, there's probably a little bit of gruffness um, mm. that may or may not have been uh, necessary. You know, yeah. some of your shaft alley training type stuff. Yeah. But uh, but I think there was also, and this is what I don't see a lot nowadays is a willingness to lead. Mm. You know, like we're is you know the chief the chief's going to go do things. You know, hey, this mm. kid showed up late for work. All right, are we going to get a report shit? Nah, nah. I'll take it. care of it. Don't yeah. you worry about it, Captain. Yeah. You know, like, no, we're just going to, you know, Seaman Timmy showed up late for whatever reason, and you don't need to worry about it, Captain. Mm-hmm. I got that. That's my, that's my, that's my stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and like, okay, okay, Chief, you got it. And, uh, and sometimes I don't, I don't see that. I don't see this, um, you know, it turns out you don't need anybody's permission to be a leader. You just have to decide yeah. to do it. And, uh, yeah. And a lot of times I, I've, I feel like people don't want because they don't want to get it wrong. Right. And it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they don't want to make a decision. And then, you know, they've they've crossed some breaker with somebody where, hey, you can't yeah. do that. And somebody's going to just jackhammer them. And so they're not willing to, to to take the ownership and say, this is what I've decided because I'm the chief and I'm the chief. Yeah. And, and I wonder what what that is, because like I I've seen there's I think it's probably a sum of parts of of. I've seen a lot more prevalence of COs micromanaging. Like I, the last couple of COs I had on my last submarine, they if they got wind of me doing stuff like that, they'd lose their mind. Because And I think it was just them being concerned that the next level would lose their mind and then they would have to deal with the, the blowback. And it, so there was a lot of that where it was like everybody didn't feel empowered because the CO would just have their hands in way too much. And then... Another mechanism, like we talked about earlier, would very likely be they're not equipped. They just don't have the tools to do that anymore. And I I don't know where we lost that along the way, because I feel like I got kind of like an old school um, assimilation into the mess where when I was on Jimmy Carter, this the mess was I had a third tour cob. He would he'd been around forever. And it was like he was like the mm-hmm. Oracle of Chiefs. It was incredible. He won the Frank Lister Award while he was there. I mean, this dude is like a break glass in case of emergency SEL. And then uh I had it's a very senior Chiefs quarters because you have to volunteer to be there. So we had 
like everybody there except for the people like there was me and like um i think i made it i want to say there was five of us and there was like me a tm uh he was an ft then just converting to its that was with the detachment um we had an actual ft that guy was a clown he's a good dude but he's such a clown uh and then a, i think i did i say torpedo man i don't know but there were like five of no, us. but it's it does, fine it's irrelevant but there was like five of us and we were all pretty young except for the tm he'd been around a long time and he was the kind of dude that you were just like how is this guy not a chief already like he was so amazing he was just having trouble making board but as soon as he did he made chief great dude um but the rest of us were babies i mean we we're all like sub 10 years and the whole chiefs mess on carter was all these crusty old dudes on their second chiefs tours or a bunch of senior chiefs and then the Cobb and the edmc and the, they were both just incredible like so it was like chief university it was like i couldn't fucking i couldn't even think about putting my toe outside the line because they would just be like ah get the fuck back in there and it was but they also spent a just ton of time developing us and so we would do chiefs training we would do peacock training we would do during the chief season i mean the cob would sit in there and he'd be at every event that he possibly could be and he'd be talking to us a lot like we would get uh, tasked with book reports and so like i think i had like 16 frigates or whatever it is six frigates six frigates i think and <laughs> and uh yeah, six frigates. you know like during the during the uh i got i got microwave from the neck up it's not my fault um uh, they, they uh you you don't have time to read a fucking book during the chief season and we were at sea on mission we were doing an smi and an orse so it's just like nobody had time to read a book so then we come in and we're supposed to do these book reports and we've like skimmed it. We like read the back cover and we're like, I'll wing it. And we go in there. And so of course they punch us in the face 30 seconds in, but then that Cobb sat there and gave us like this audio synop like audio book style synopsis. Like he was there. It was riveting. And I, and I mean, I remember looking at the senior chiefs in the room that were also riveted. Like he was that type of a dude. And it was just like, that's where I came up. I just got lucky and found my feet happened to be planted in this extremely unique and just luck based circumstance. I don't know where that went. And I don't even know where it came from, to be honest with you. Like, I don't know how those dudes got developed to be that or if it was just luck in that all those types of anomalies volunteered to be in the same place at the same time because it's Carter or combination or what. But like, I feel like the chief's mess used to be more that, you know, like that felt like a time capsule. Like I had traveled back to my first boat and the chiefs that were there in 2002 were like, it was that type of, of dude. Like there was a single chief in that chief's mess that I would have looked at and been like, that dude doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Or that dude's not equipped to do the, the, the thing or whatever for, for whatever their yeah, faults and it's, were. But it, yeah. But it's her majesty's ship, right? So everybody is on, true, their, is on their second tour unless they're a yeah, homegrown, yeah. homegrown chief. And right. that's the thing I think is, is how do we get, you know, our first tour chiefs closer to that? Yeah. Why do we have to have them make it to an entire chief tour before they finally at the end go, right. Oh, I get it now. Just in time to go to shore duty. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you I know, feel like, like I, I'm willing to bet that. Yeah. I was going to just say education, I feel like is the only option, but it would be education from people like that. Like that's one of the things with like in like ELD, 
with Manning and retention being what they are, it's like, how can we possibly commit the the amount of billets that we need to of active duty sailors to that when I could just go hire that cob locally in this area? He lives here. He'd do that shit for free just to have access to the sailors, to be honest. I would do it for free, but like like I'm not full time. But you know what I mean? Like I'd come in once a week to have that kind of access to sailors and just do what I'm doing right now. But I, I don't there's people like that out there where it's like, why don't we just draw on that experience in every fleet concentration area? Those people retire and stay close. So it's like not all of them, but a lot of them. And so it's I mean, we got Mick ponds and all kinds of stuff in, in this area. And I'm sure there's they're in Norfolk and you know, what I mean, like so I just and Groton. I mean, God, sub vets events like there's just such resources available. And but like my only answer would be education like and I. I don't think we, whatever that looks like, I mean, that can mean so many things. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's education. I think there's, you know, the, the gray beard process we have for the schoolhouses, mm. for the officers, you know, why don't we have that for leadership development? You know, just, right. you know, is there an office somewhere where you can park, you know, a couple old yeah. jobs just for, for real for sounding boards can, and can stuff? Can you, can you talk about that? Cause I've heard of that and I kind of vaguely know what it is, but can you explain what that gray beard thing is for officers? I mean, the Greybeards, uh, each schoolhouse has one at least, mm-hmm. uh, some places, maybe two. Uh, we're trying to get a second one here in Norfolk, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, usually a, uh, retired post major command, uh, officer that, you know, he, he's at the schoolhouse and there's a few courses that he leads. Um, but mm-hmm. he's obviously involved in all of the attack centers and he's just, he's there to kind of, you know, be some continuity. Um, some higher level thinking on how to employ tactics and, and how you're mm. fighting your submarine. And so as, you know, as we go through the attack centers and things of that nature, he's very much providing some very, very sage. Well, here, here's some things you guys haven't thought about. And here's like the real, yeah. thank you for your hot wash, you know, the ship, but let's peel back the onion. And here's like some yeah. core principles that you guys may have missed and haven't been thinking about. And so he provides, mm. they provide a lot of great, just, salty wisdom about you know fighting submarines god that would be cool i would take that job yesterday let's go i don't know if i'm qualified but i would take that job yesterday that'd be absolutely i think uh, i mean uh, that's the that's the stuff i love to do is get in the attack center and watch the boats and then Mm -hmm. when they do their hot wash and i that i come i come over the top with well here's some bigger thoughts how how do you think about these Uh, Yeah, yeah, absolutely enjoy that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I feel like that could be like because even even if it was more like a mobile training team version of that, where it's like a dude like me goes down to the boat and is involved when they have those conversations or even the conversations that like so like as you as a CEO meeting weekly with your chiefs, like once a month, invite the graybeard down kind of thing and and do like training that way where it's like because whatever you can do to like remove the stress of them having to like. Uh, we got to go up to the schoolhouse and talk to the graybeard. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I it, I don't need you to come off the boat. I just need you to walk to the chief's mess and I'll sit down and talk. Cause like that, I just feel like that could add a lot of value. Like having somebody come from the outside and, and, but that has the same experience and just been around for a long time. Cause that dude, so his name's Eric Antoine. I love shouting him out. Cause I know he listens to the podcast. So it probably gives him a warm, fuzzy feeling when I'm talking about him. But like, that dude as a gray beard, like, holy shit, it would be. That's the guy that was riveting us with all the stories, the Cobb on Carter. Like, 
Frank Lister award-winning three-tour Cobb. Like, you want a Cobb gray beard. That's the definition of. And he's right at PSNS doing oh, yeah. the engineer things. So it's like he would he would relish that job. He would love every single solitary second of that. And so it's like, I feel like that those people exist. And that's why I'm like, I don't think I'd be qualified for it, even though it would be amazing, because guys like Eric exist. It's like, I, I'd, I like if somebody asked me, who do you think should do it? I would immediately point at Eric Antoine. That's the guy you have to get him. He would be just like though you would see an objective quality increase in every cop on the waterfront, like immediately. It's just it, it's I, the fact that we don't do that blows my mind. And like the I, I hadn't even really thought about it until you just explained that. That's like a really great idea um, that I don't understand why we don't apply in the enlisted realm. I feel like that would be a huge boon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's because because, you know, as we've been we've been saying right now, the way it goes is the chiefs quarters. Um, you got you've got all these first tour chiefs and they're they're trying to figure it all out and bless mm-hmm. their hearts. They're they're trying their best. No one wants to be bad. Everyone wants right, to exactly. feel like they're doing the best they can. Right. But, you know, giving them a resource because you've got the fleet training team and they do great work mm-hmm. or. But right, right now it's OK. Well, when the when the lockers having issues, who mm-hmm. can help? Okay, right, the and there's squadron. only two teams. Okay, well, the and they have got six, you know, the fleet CPO guys. So that exactly, like, and, and yeah, yeah, and this, the squadron's only got one CMC. You know, mm-hmm. I got one post cop. Right. So I mean, right. how, how how thin can I spread him? And so right. having somebody that's just there as a resource to talk to or mm-hmm. to come down and give some training that that would be that would yeah. be of immense benefit. I think. Oh God, yeah. I that's. I'm going to talk to some of the homies. This is like, that was, that's a really, really great idea. And it, it, you could start it informally. Like I know the group CMC regionally and like, I was like, Hey man, and, and I'm not saying it should be me, but like uh, if you can get Eric to do it, like that would be incredible. Cause Aaron's incredible. Aaron Lee at group nine. I'll just put, he listens as well. He's a great dude. Um, but he's, like he would be great at it, but he's the group nine guy. Like he's busy. Like he's doing his CMC. No, a, a, job. Exactly. We've, we've got yeah. all these fantastic CMCs running around, right. but they've got right. day jobs. Yeah, exactly. You know? So exactly. But if you had Eric Antoine in a closet in the building and just like, Hey, this boat needs you like break the glass, send him in that direction and just like go about doing your day job. Um, because he, God, that would be so valuable, man. Uh, I'm about to write a white paper. All right. Um, so the, that's a that's not a brilliant idea. Um, so let's get into the the your obser- observations. Um, we've talked a little bit like offline about some of the stuff that you've been observing and frustrated with. But I, I would love to get into just generally again, uh, the like stuff you're observing and the stuff you're frustrated with about chief performance, about what's actually happening day to day on the deck plate and like what you're seeing as the deficiencies and, and what needs to be improved. I mean, the, um, I, I see a lot of boats. I, I've gotten a chance to ride a lot of boats. I mean, I, I was the mm-hmm. senior member of the oars board before I uh, you know, took over as Commodore. Mm-hmm. So I've seen a lot of the waterfront. Um, yeah. And kind of, you know, what we were, what we were discussing earlier is, you know, what am I seeing is, a difference from what I'm used to, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, the quarters in, you know, Lieutenant Junior Grade Pittman's mind yeah. is supposed to be this unified uh, wall of standards and expectations. And this is mm-hmm. what we do on USS whatever. 
Yeah. You know, there is a standard, there is an expectation and the Cobb has clearly laid out mm-hmm. what he, what is important and what he will and will not tolerate. The chiefs enforce that vigorously, both, mm-hmm. you know, to the sailors and to each other yeah. where they're holding each other accountable to the standard of the ship. Mm-hmm. And if one of the chiefs is struggling, the other chiefs rally around to help that guy mm-hmm. out. Um, <laughs> And I don't see that in a lot of places. The places that are struggling, um, you see a couple chiefs that are killing it, a couple Mm -hmm. chiefs that are drowning, and and, and everybody seems okay with that. And it's very frustrating to watch when it's a – I just don't get the sense that a lot of our quarters are this unified – Right. You know, just rampaging horde of standards and excellence. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> rampaging. I got to write that down. That's going to be a T-shirt at some point. Rampaging <laughs> horde of standards and excellence. Yeah, they. Uh, I, I agree with you. And that's what I, obs- I observed on the inside of the messes I was a part of and that I just got an opportunity to observe is like it, the, the last one I was in, they're exactly what you just described. There was... Uh, chiefs that were killing it. There were chiefs that were uh, struggling, like really struggling. And there was not nearly enough. Like there was just like, oh, that guy's such a piece of shit. Like, why can't he just get his shit together? And it's like, why don't you get behind him and push, bro? Like, why don't you do the thing you're supposed to be doing? And so like, I was always the guy that like, I, I, I got told a lot I was either defensive or combative or whatever because I was the one no. that was jumping up and down. I know, shocking, I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it was because like I was the one that was jumping up and down about that. Like I was the one that would call it out. It's like, hey, man, why don't you fucking help him out? Like I had chiefs like bitching about their division officers because they sucked and they couldn't wait to punt him to a different division. I'm like, hey, man, guess whose job it is to make that division officer fully functional? Guess whose job it is to like train that divo and make them understand how it is. Oh, well, he's just useless and he's just an idiot. It's like, no, he's not. He passed nuclear training and all this other shit like to get here. He's got submarine dolphins on like he's not stupid. He's just not prepared. And it's your job to prepare him. And so it's like you that that's super prevalent where it's like it, there's a whole bunch of individuals that are still worried about their own individual performance. They're all trying to make rank. Um they're they're worried about the next thing be, instead of what they're currently in charge of and it's you you just see a lot of selfish behavior and a lot of really immature like goonish dismissal of those people that are struggling and it's it's fucking bullshit man and it's super counterproductive and fosters this culture of like um kind of like eating your own it's like they're, they're where it's like every, all like you're out for yourself you know, and it's and it's like it's all about number one and everybody else. Like if you can't keep up, then you're going to just you're just going to be gone. Like you're just going to get trampled. And it's like so rampaging yeah, horde in a sense, uh, but a bunch of individuals. Yeah, well, it, it's this. Uh, I think we uh, we tend to forget that it's about the boat. Yeah. Right. It's not about as you said at the beginning, you know, it's not about you anymore. You're absolutely right. right. It's not about you. Um, and it's not even about your division. It's about the boat. Because guess what? If your boat has a crap reputation, I doubt you're going to be the number one chief of your division in the squadron. Right. Right. Like right. it's it's people people try to get selfish and make sure that their stuff doesn't stink. 
But it's mm-hmm. like, hey, if if the boat doesn't succeed, then I really right. don't care the point? if I have the yeah. best egging on the waterfront. Well, and do you think organizationally, whether it's submarine community or Navy or Chiefs Mess or whatever, do do we do a good enough job building the structure around prioritizing those things? You know what I mean? Like the how we evaluate people, how we promote people, how we award people like to to like Paul Kingsbury loves to point at like the enlisted career path and the the board convening stuff about like if you want to change behavior you need to change what those do- like they they are behaving i forget how he says it but they're behaving to those documents like they're they're just doing what you're effectively telling them to do like this is how you evaluate them so this is what they're going to do to be positively evaluated so if you change that criteria to what you actually want them to do in real life shockingly they're going to start doing it and so like when you heard like admiral richardson start talking about like getting rid of collateral duties and stuff it's like okay, cool. But the documents all say that those things still hold a lot of value at the chief's board. So the behavior is not going to change just because you said, you know, like it needs to, you need to tell the people govern with that, like revise and update those governing documents. To, this is the thing. Start changing those. Um, so yeah, do you think no, I we think do that's a, a good uh, enough job doing those things to drive the behavior? No, I think it's a, uh, it's and in, in, it's a huge, it's a much bigger problem than that. Than that, because yeah. the at its very, very core, the problem is that we are an up or out organization. Yeah. Right. Like you, you have to continue to advance, or you'll you'll run into problems right. at some point in your career. Yeah. And there's value that. in that, but I think there there there's difficulty in that because what you yeah. get is people looking at the precepts and doing what's going to get them to advance. Mm-hmm. And sometimes to the detriment of making decisions that are actually, because that's the whole thing. If we're going to yeah. sit here and say, which which I agree with, it's not about you. If you're mm-hmm. making decisions based on how it's going to make sure you can promote, mm-hmm. then you're you're making the wrong decisions because right. it's not about you. It's about the boat. It's about the the, the kids that you've been placed in charge of mm-hmm. and taking care of them. And if you're making your decisions on trying to make the next rank, then your brain is in the wrong place to take care of the people you've been entrusted with. Yeah. And I don't know how, like what, I guess what the correct way would be to, to change it. If you're changing it to align it better to accomplish that, because like the, I've always been a critic of the upper out system because I, I, I've observed directly sailors who would have been infinitely more valuable to the Navy and the mission as wrench turners than as LPOs or chiefs and they wanted to be wrench turners. So like, why can't I do like the journeyman master mechanic like they do at the shipyard where this person is just an, like effectively like a gray beard wrench turner that's just mentoring all the junior mechanics on how to be the the highest level technical expert possible and and pay them well to do that and let them retire as that instead of trying to force them because like this the guy i'm thinking of is a new he was a nuke mechanic and they were just like try, making him the lpo and trying to make him qualify engineering watch supervisor he's like i don't want this like i do not want to be mm-hmm. a chief i don't want to be in charge of the division i just want to be a grease monkey like just let me go fix the things because i'm really good at it and i love it and it's like why would you not listen to him <laughs> like why would you not like it's like why, we do career development boards like why would you not want him doing what not only what he loves but what he's best at and try to force him into this mold 
of like, no, you have to be a leader. He's like, well, I don't want to be a leader. And so, like, of course, he's not going to be good at it if he doesn't want to do it. It's like this reluctant leader. Yeah, and his division's going to suffer because you threw right. him in charge. Right. And he told you not to and he told you you didn't want it. And then you forced him into that and he's going to be miserable. So he's going to suck at it. And it's not because he wants to suck. He just hates it. And it's like he's a human being. So it's like I've never understood Mm -hmm. why it isn't okay for somebody to just like like create a path, even if it's a different thing. Like if it's like because they have like the um, we have rank and pay grade. Right. So like you could have a different pay grade than rank. I feel like you could just go off on a a tree, like a different branch of the tree. And so maybe you're still a second class, but you're getting paid a lot more than that other second class because you're qualified more things and because you've done like all these other like there's like all these experience metrics and other other measurements of expertise and experience that would qualify you for those pay increases. But if you don't want to go the leadership route, like that's I'm cool with there being a 20 year second class that can fix anything. You know what I mean? And like teach all my baby mechanics or whoever the the technical aspect of things, because it's like having a built in gray beard like I, I that would be incredible. You'd get people not just qualified faster, but they'd be way more competent and prepared to do the thing. Um so yeah, I, I have always hated that. Yeah, and that, that guy can spread his knowledge on how to fix mm-hmm. things. And because you right. that's what we need. We we've lost the ability to stay at sea because yeah. I mean part of it is just the, the technology we're using. So you know, mm-hmm. now now the, the lowest replaceable component is the entire pump. Okay, thanks. <laughs> um but we've lost that capability of that guy. That guy yeah. who knows yeah. how to fix anything and him right. teaching everybody else how to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then like even the us rotating as often as we do it's like a lot of times that senior fully qualified second class is that guy for six months and then they transfer so it's like and then somebody else has to like it it's like they're being replaced by somebody who has to figure the majority of that stuff out from scratch because they only have access it's like they're recreating the thing maybe it's as good as the former one or maybe not but like they only have a short period of time to learn from that person before they they evaporate. And now that guy's got to figure, OK, now I got to fill this role. And maybe I've learned as much, maybe not, instead of getting to spend years yeah, I mean, with that kid, you know. Exactly. We want to we want to heavily rely on our lessons learned process, but there is no there's no replacement for experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can. I, I can write down every way to screw this up and sailors will yeah. still find a new way to screw it up. Yeah. Oh and yeah. So you've got to just, you just got to know, you got to know. Yeah. I was just talking, my brother-in-law is a docking officer at the shipyard and uh, we were just talking about this yesterday about how whoever the powers that be are in, in the, that capacity at the shipyard are all, they're trying to um, implement this thing where everything is procedural based and their goal apparently is to bring like a kid off the street or straight out of high school, hand them a procedure and they can dock an aircraft carrier. And he's like, that's not real (laughs) because there are certain things that like, yes, we have a procedure, but like there are things that happen that I have to just make judgment calls based on my knowledge and experience. And yes, I'm trying to operate within the procedure, but like if I have to make a change, I have to make a change and it's all time dependent because the ocean's doing things and time is passing. Mm -hmm. And so like they're trying to like run the procedure up and route this rev B so that whatever he needs to do is within the procedure. And he goes, by the time you get that back, it's going to be too late. Like I'm going to, I need to dock this thing on blocks, not on the, on the floor. You know what I mean? So like we were just talking about that yesterday and he's just like, these idiots are trying to automate everything basically. And he's like, you can't, you can't do that. I, there's some stuff that I just have to make decisions 
based on my knowledge and experience. And I'm like, yeah, that's the thing that happens even on submarines when we're dealing with like nuclear reactors and stuff. It's like, yes, there are very rigid procedural steps, but also sometimes shit happens. And I was talking about stand and dive and I was like, they, we have all these load supportability algorithms and fucking uh, submerged hydrodynamic forces and all this stuff. But like you apply all those rules based on the indications you have and make a decision based on what you're doing with water and speed and planes and everything. But then the ocean gets a vote. Sometimes that shit just does some sh- something that doesn't make sense. And like, I don't know what's happening, but sometimes the ocean's just like, nah, bro, like your, your preload was bullshit or whatever. You need to be going yeah. faster. Or, and it's like, then you have these COs that are freaking out on you because like it didn't work. And I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, okay you're right but like and i adjust accordingly and eventually we get to the place we needed to be but like the ocean gets a vote like i can't tell the ocean like hey man you're not conforming to the low supportability math like it's just not a thing uh, you have to have we when you try to legislate or proceduralize out like we, we try to drive every possible error to zero and that is a fragile system I, uh, mm. as I, as I've talked about with some other people, um, it's, it's like the difference between like a 74 Volkswagen and then like, you know, a Mercedes M3, you know, it's like, sorry, BMW M3, right? Like you got this M3 and it's all machined and it's tight. Mm. And, mm. and if yeah. I throw a little pebble in there, the engine is going to completely explode Yeah. <laughs> where like a 74 Volkswagen, I can throw a whole handful of gravel in there and, and it's, it's still going it. to be able to keep functioning. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you cannot drive error to zero. And if that's right. your goal, well, then what's going to happen is you're going to get a whole bunch of things down to zero. And then mm-hmm. the one thing that goes wrong is going to be yep. a catastrophic failure. Yeah. The tiny thing. So that you've you got to have systems. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's going to be big. And it's going to be big well, and you're not going to know what to do about it. Well, and that's like the point you just made about the the we're not able to fix stuff. Like if if the lowest replaceable parts, the pump and the pump explodes while you're deployed, you have to go home and get a new pump. And so it's like that's detrimental to like national security that you're you can. Now I can't do the mission because I need to go have like a depot level repair done. It's like this. Does, why? Why? Like because there was a time. Uh, I was out to see on Carter and something went wrong and they said you have like nab C was like, you have to come home and get this fixed. And a gang's like, no, we can fix it. And the CEO's like, all right, fix it. And if it doesn't work, we'll go home and fix it. And they fixed the shit out of it. And we stayed we stayed out and they were just like, it, that's impossible. There's no way you fixed it. And then a gang's like, well, fuck you. Yes, I did. <laughs> it's like, it works. So yeah, does that, I mean- is that the definition of fixed? You know, and yeah, it's like to not have that we would. And I mean, you know, the level of stuff that they're doing, it's like that boat coming home, coming off mission because we have to like replace a pump or a valve or something. It's like that's not a thing that like we can't come off station and just get something fixed and then go back, you know, so it's just like, yeah, and, and arguably no one can like you shouldn't be. Yeah, but you know what? But what's interesting about that, you know, granted, granted, it's Carter and everything, and like we said, and a bunch of second tour chiefs and things of that nature. But what what what's there? And I, I you know you can correct me if I'm wrong. I've never never been on on the you know the right. long boat, as they say. Um, <laughs> but what's there is a willingness to try. Yes, 
A hundred because there are it's, there are many people that are going to like. Well, it, it says it's depot level. We got to send yeah. off a cash up and go home, Captain. Where yeah. it seems like on on your boat, we're going to try. On that boat, it was and and to be fair, it was we were empowered to do that quite a bit. Like where the CO and I don't know if he was just a cowboy or like if it was like he was empowered by that Commodore to do more or what. But like there was definitely a desire all the way from the tippy top that we stay out. Like it was just always like, what can we do? It, that's how they approach the problem. What do we have to do to keep you where you are instead of, oh God, no, that's a deep hole. You got to come home. Right. Which I feel like on the BN side, when I was there, there was a lot more of that. There was just like, hey, you're going to have to come back. So the ship shipyard can fix it. And it's not that they didn't try a little bit, but like it was a lot easier to just be like, ah, yeah, we got to go get a part or come off station, go do this or whatever. Um, but yeah, that with, with that boat, so why do you, the whole culture was like, keep us out, keep us. We have to go on time. We have to stay out. We have to do the thing. And so it's like, I, I think that the whole thing was built on that kind of like a empowerment where so and you didn't have to explain how important anything was to anybody. Everybody just knew like all the way down to like the most junior FSA, like everybody by the time they checked into the boat, a hundred people had told them how big of a deal Jimmy Carter was. So it's like, by the time they got there, they just uh, like, they might not have understood exactly why, but they understood the, the general importance. And like, so it was, everybody just understood. Like if we get extended, we get extended. And it's like, there's no bitching and moaning. Like we know what, how important this is. And, and there's when we had to work the long hours or we had to do the maiden, whatever, like when we turned it around real fast and went back out, it was like we did some wild shit. Like there was one time they were telling me they were going to bump the pier for four hours and I was going to load 45 days of food. I'm like, I hate to break it to you, sir, but that's not real. Like the holes only, you know, like I, it doesn't. Oh, we'll throw the whole crew at it. We'll give you all the bot. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like there's a maximum speed at which I can hand food down this limited size hole. It's just I need 24 hours. I was like, you give me 24 hours. I can do it. I'll get it all on board. And I'm like, I'm still going to be stowing shit on the maneuvering watch but I'll get it on the submarine and we can go back out. But I was like, four hours isn't real, but that's the, the attitude. It was like, we're going to bump the pier. We're going to get 45 days of food, all this parts, and we're going to go back out. And I was like, I wanted to yeah, say but yes, means- but that's just not real. Well, and that's the thing, right? I mean, I got it. it it's, you know, it's, it's 23 and it's a yeah. very special mission set. Right. right. But if you it's look at unique. all of the stuff that we're, but if you look at all the stuff that we're putting out and all mm-hmm. the expectations on the submarine force in right. general, Right. Mm-hmm. The rest of us are very much, you know, important to, you know, yeah. if the balloon goes oh, yeah. up tomorrow. The submarine force is at the tip of the spear. Uh-huh. So why does it take to why does it take being on Jimmy Carter to have yeah. that sense of the importance right. of the mission? Like what was going on on that boat? But that made it so obvious and got such buy in for everybody. I just think it's the it's the nature of the beast it's like the the they call it the cool guy stuff for naval special warfare my buddy dan is always talking about cool guy stuff and cool guy schools and cool guy this and cool guy that and it's like it's that like mystique of it being cool guy stuff essentially but then it's i think it's there's a ton of room for the leadership structure to install that mentality because like when I was on a BN, I took that with me and I went there and the missile techs were having a hard time, right? Like there was a lot of procedural compliance issues and, and, um, there a lot of critiques and just all this crazy shit going on. And, and, um, 
we I was filling in for the cob. I went in there with XO because we were monitoring their briefs. And so we went in there and they did a brief for whatever maintenance item they were doing that day. We were doing like loading and offloading of of the assets. And then um, he uh, they did the whole brief and then they kind of do go around the room and then like go up the chain of command. Right. So they got to me and it was like when they were doing the brief. So like one I, and I've monitored nuclear briefs in in maneuvering a bunch, too, because there was same kind of issues and they wanted somebody back there to monitor. It was the most professional brief I've ever heard. It was very, everybody did the, everything perfectly where the, all the books were open. It was very like, it was a great brief. And then when they got done, but like as they were briefing, it was like a bunch of whip dogs. Like everybody was sad and like not motivated. And, and like, that's what's going to get you the procedural compliance issues is nobody's engaged. And when they got to me, I was like, Hey, what the fuck, man? You guys are are incredible. Like this was one of the best briefs I've ever seen. You guys are are doing this incredible thing and you're responsible for these world destroying weapons. I'm like, this is an awesome responsibility that you have. You like you you guys are doing really important cool shit. And I just got them all gassed up and gave them this like speech about what what they do has such meaning and blah blah blah. And then the XO talked a little bit because the CO wasn't there and we walked out and the XO was like, holy shit, senior, that was you got me fired up. He's like, that was awesome. I really liked that. And it was like and you could see the demeanor of all those missile techs change, too. And they got all gassed up. And and I, I don't remember if they had any other issues or not or that day or going forward. But it's like there's so much room for that. Like you can install that that feeling of importance. And when it comes from the person that's in that position, like the Cobb, the XO, the CO, it's like, or even the Commodore's coming down or whoever, like the CMC from squadron. It's like, there's so much room to install that, that I, I just think it's on those people to do it. And it's amazing. The response you get, I think when you have the right person in that position, I think the Cobb has a lot to do with that because the vast majority of the crews enlisted and that's kind of their, their lane. Um, but like when I went, I was doing SMIs. So I was going out on all the boats in, in our area and we'd go to Guam and Hawaii sometimes. And I stepped foot on the Nevada and the Cobb's name is TR Glazner. And he won the Frank Lister award that year too. But I stopped on board that submarine and you could just fucking feel it in the air. It was the first time I'd felt that feeling since I was on Jimmy Carter, where that submarine was just different. The energy was different. The crew, every, everything. And every time I saw TR, that motherfucker was winded because he was just fucking everywhere. <laughs> he was like a Tasmanian devil. And like that crew, like the CO, the XO, the Yeoman, the Chop, the, the Cobb, everybody checked on us once a day, every day during an orse, which never fucking happens because like this, they don't give a shit about the SMI. They're worried about orse. But for us, I mean, we were just blown away by that submarine and they killed it. I mean, they killed their they killed their inspection. They killed it was the only above standards I gave um, to a, a CS division besides the like one of probably three CS cobs there are in the whole submarine fleet right now. Like that guy got an above standards. And then this chief that he just retired, but he was on that boat and he was the type of dude that he he was an unlikely candidate like he was a dude i thought was going to struggle because he used to be a cb and then he was forced converted and so he'd only been a cook for like seven years and he just killed it and i'm like wow like and i remember i went up to tr after i'm like i'm gonna come see you with my cob card when you get home shit mate because god damn this boat is impressive <laughs>
and he's such a great dude but it's like that was an, a bn it was just a regular schmegular bn doing bn things and that crew was on fire and i'm like whatever that well, is that's like the thing yeah it's at least proof of concept it's possible like he had that crew on that, that, fire that's the thing right is uh at the end of the day in the submarine force god love us all we're all mm. doing cool guy shit yeah, yeah right? 100%. Like, there's no we're I've, you know, we just got through midshipman season and, uh, you know, so I'm out there riding boats and the midshipmen are like, why did you go submarines? And I'm like, well, uh, I love our surface brethren, but at the end of the day, there's no ammo submarine. There's no oiler submarine. Mm -hmm. If you're on a submarine, you're doing cool submarine shit. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, so why do you have to, why does it have to be the 23 gets to, gets to, you know. But reserve yeah. the cool guy attitude for them. Nah, man, it's we're not cool at guys. all. Doing cool yeah. Shit. Some of the coolest shit I ever did was on a BN because I was just because I was in the position to do so. Like when I was on 23, I was a, a very young chief and it's not in their culture to let CSs into control much. Like I qualified chief of the watch there and they let me do a little bit, but not on mission and never let, wouldn't let me qualify dive. I tried, but mm-hmm. they just didn't want me up there. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't even like fully anyway. I mean, there was a little bit of that, like you're a cook, you don't need to be in control, but like there was also, um, it was the, the division I had at the time. I had a very junior division. I had no fleet returnees. So like my cob was just like, no, like you need to be with your division because they don't have anybody. Like that's what you need to be on the mess X. That's where we need you. And he was right. I was just pissed because I wanted to progress and I wanted to do cool guy shit. But then on Louisiana was my, the BN I was on. I was a topside line handler supervisor, small boat handling party. I was standing dive. I was doing all this cool shit. I was the battle stations drill inserter. I was like, I was going behind the BCP and pulling out Amphenols and shit. I'm like, like, no, cooks don't do that. And so like, I was doing all this really cool stuff. And some of my favorite memories are like being topside, going, going through the Straits Juan de Fuca and like doing all this crazy stuff. And like, I remember vividly moments where I'm like, like when I was a pretty new dive and I like brought the boat to PD in the Straits and I'm like, holy shit, I just did that. Like, it's like, it's, it's the type of stuff I never envisioned doing as a cook on a submarine. And so it's like, like 23 was the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. And, and I will maintain that until my dying day. But like the, it's because I was a part of something like that and it was very fulfilling, but the coolest like individual moments I've, I've ever had, like me doing a thing was definitely on a BN. Like, and I mean, I got to fill in for the cob all the time. So I got to do some pretty cool stuff in that regard too, just the leadership stuff. And so it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it's, there is no, like, there is no reason why it's just easier. Like it just comes naturally for the Carter because it's the Carter, but it's like, I don't, I don't see why, like I had a cob on my very first boat that, he was not a good cob, but he did have this, uh, um, this like really deep pride in submarine heritage and just the fact that he's a submariner and that we were all submariners. And he would talk about that a lot. And like the, some of the stories behind like world war two submarine heroes and, and he would relate it to that boat. And, um, it was the first time I saw that, like somebody that was that like attached to the heritage and that had that kind of pride in being a submariner. And 
I like that. I haven't seen that a lot since like on Carter. It was there, but it was there in that unique Carter way because of the mission, I feel like. But I, I don't see that a lot either. Like I was the heritage guy everywhere I went for my whole career. Like I would I would bring in my collection of dolphins and anchors and stuff and do training with the selects or just show this the new submariners. All I got all the deep wave dolphins and the patches that they'd sew on their blues and all that kind of stuff. And um I, I, I'm, I was always the heritage guy. Like I'd bring that stuff in and show them. I have a lot of CS stuff and, um, it like the, the chiefs didn't even know a lot of that stuff. Like I was going to ask you earlier when you mentioned as a CEO, you're sharing the history of the charge book. And it's like, have you ever read that a tradition of change document that the, uh, Mick Pond commission back in the day? It was, uh, uh, I have not, you should check that it's on my website or you can just Google a tradition of change. Um, but it's the history of the charge book that you probably read is completely fabricated. It's all bullshit. Um, and it's very, it, 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 it'll make a lot of sense when you go through it, but basically it's called a charge book because they would collect charges. Uh, Think about them like infractions, like a legal charge, like you did something wrong. Mm -hmm. So they would chiefs would write a charge in your book throughout the season and then you'd get punished for it at the end. And at the end they do like an NJP style judgment of you. And then all this crazy shit would happen. It was all very hazing like based stuff. And, and a lot of times, I mean, there's some really horrific things that would happen to those charge books. And a lot of times at the end of the season, chiefs would just throw them away because they were ruined and gross and just filled with like horrible shit. And, um, it, it, they changed it as they tried to repackage that as they started to get pressure from like the CNO level and, and Hey, we're going to take your toys away. So you got to change this. So then they kind of like fabricated this story of like, actually back in the days of sale. And it's like, no, that's not real. That's mm-hmm. not what happened at all. Um, and it's, so it's, it's interesting in that regard too, to, to see where all the chief stuff even came from um, and kind of why it, it'll, it'll give you a really vivid illustration of like why the chief season is the way that it is. And um, I, I, most chiefs at large have not read that document. And so they still believe a lot of the like fantasy version essentially. And so they have attached the meaning of what's happening during the chief season to that goat locker version. When in reality, if you read a tradition yeah. change, you're like, oh, okay, I understand now. And like, that's why I rail against this shit. And I disagreed with a lot of it before I the tradition of change even came out. But then when it did, it was like, holy shit, I understand why this is so broken now, you know? And it's like, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a great read. You should, I did a podcast on it too. If you don't want to like go through, it's like 60 pages or something, but it's really, there's a lot I'll of pictures. Both. There's a lot of pictures in it. It's, it's really good. You, you'll, I think you'll really enjoy it and it'll give you a lot more understanding of why the season is the way it is and why it's they cling to the idea that it it works because it's in my mind anyway it's because it's tied to this like positive fantasy land version that we concocted when we needed to reform the chief season instead of the tradition changing there are a plenty of chiefs nowadays that that make that document up like make it a point to provide selects that document and make it a point to train on it but there's a lot of chiefs that just kind of missed that and so like chiefs that are actively in the mess now that just think the goat locker version is real still. And I I've had those conversations hmm. all the way up until I retired. And even after through the podcast about like, Hey man, like that's, that's not real. That's, that's not where this came from. Cause you'll see chief selects and you'll, you'll probably see this this year. Like 
the history of the charge book will be printed out from goatlocker.org and put into their charge book. And it's like, that's, that's completely fabricated. And so it's super frustrating um, because a lot of the reasons why it's broken, uh, the roots are in that tradition change document. But anyway, it's enough about that. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, yeah, they, they do print out the, uh, the history of the Mm. charge book uh, when I give the people their charge book and I don't read it because I don't care. Um, which is you know probably a horrible thing to say. Oh, I mean, like I said, turns that, that's out chief stuff. <laughs> you know, but that that's the, that. Hey, those are goat locker things. Let yeah. me tell. I always approach it. I always approach everything in the season from I am not a chief, mm. and so let me tell you what I want you to get from what you're about mm. to go through. Right. You know, the history of it aside, I could care less mm. how we got here, why we got here. This is what I need for you to get from it. Yeah. Did you ever do um, like when I checked into my last boat, my CEO handed me a letter uh, and it was like an expectations letter for chiefs on board USS, whatever. Do you, did you ever do stuff like that as a CEO? I did not. Um, it's okay. a thing. Um, yeah. I think there's there's probably two camps on the, the expectations letter because it does. Mm-hmm. It makes it very, very clear. Yeah. Um, and th- there, that is a thing because what you don't want is people spending, you know, the first six months trying to figure out what it is that you as the captain right. expect of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I, I didn't write it down and give them a letter because mm-hmm. what I would rather do is have a conversation. Right. Right. And which so I, which I, I sat down with them well, and but... talked about what my expectations are. Yeah. I think we did that as well. But like it was one of those like I think that particular CEO did it because he thought he should do it and then didn't adhere to any of it. And sure shit didn't adhere to his charge of command, but that's another podcast. <laughs> that, that's, a, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. I've always been a, a believer in lead with a conversation, not with a memo. So yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I, yeah, I, I definitely prefer that. Um, and we did talk about it, but it was almost like performative because again, it like went off the rails, but, um, but yeah, the, uh, if, if you could like, cause I know you keep saying like, well, that's chief stuff, but like, let's pretend you're CNO and it's all yours, right? Like what would you do if anything, and you could be intentionally vague if you don't want to get into specifics, but like, what would you do if anything to fix the way kind of, I don't know if I even want to say the way we develop chiefs, that would probably be a component of it, but just like kind of who chiefs are and what they do. Like if you were going to paint the picture policy wise of like this is who these people are and what they do as an organization for my navy to accomplish the mission that is the point of the navy existing in the first place like how would you do that man that's a broad question isn't it Uh, (laughs) i wanted to leave you some as much wiggle room as i could but i mean so you know the premise of that question is you know the uh, the assumption is that it's broken right now and uh, yeah and i don't know that that, that that's 100% true i think okay why do you say that i'm always a believer <laughs> because i think it just depends right because yeah. as we as we've been talking about there are there are some quarters that are doing great mm-hmm. and there's some quarters that are you know average and it turns out there's a bell curve in anything Right. And it's easy to get frustrated by the ones that are that are not performing well because they're the ones mm. that occupy our time. And yeah. so when uh, when all you stare at is the problems you have to go fix, then it seems like everything is broken. Right. And there's a lot of great chiefs and a lot of great quarters doing great things. 
And so what I would, what I would want to do is I don't want to lower where the high performing quarters are in order to bring the bottom ones up. I would like to get everybody up to a higher level. And so I would rather, I would, I would want to, and again, like I said earlier, it's hard Mm. to legislate these things into a policy because so much of it is individualized to the crew. And as you change out people, it's going to shift. And Mm -hmm. so what I would, what I would want to really focus on is the empowerment of the quarters to do things. Um, as I, as I heard a, a chief of staff say recently, the privilege of command is the privilege of having your choices second guessed. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, but it's true. All yeah. you can do is the best that you, that you thought yeah. was the right thing to do at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and if it was the right thing, it was the right thing. And if it wasn't, then right. we're going to go get better. But what I would, what, if there's anything that I would want to see is this sense of, okay, I'm a deck plate leader. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. That means you're taking care of the kids. That means uh, mom and dad have raised this child for 18 years and then they gave him to us. Mm-hmm. And I think we owe it to the nation to give that kid back if not in better, at least yeah. in the same condition that we got them. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so our job is to develop sailors and take care of them mm. and realize who they are on an individual basis and make them better people. And you have to, you know, chief, you've got to be looking at those individual sailors. What does this person need to grow? What does this person need to grow? And it's going to be two different things. And you have to have the strength of character and will, chief, to make decisions and then stand by them when the captain's like, well, why did you do that? Because mm-hmm. that's my job, sir. Yeah, yeah. Right? And vigorously defend your role as chief to take care of the kids. And yeah. we as officers owe it to the chiefs to give them room to maneuver to do that. Okay. I like it. I li- I-, I feel like there's a... The component that I always harp on is like the there's a missing like mechanism to prepare them to do that, like to teach them the skills to do that, uh, even even to well, empower there, there them. There is, but I. But, yeah, I think I think there there's probably a, a missing component on because like like we said, there's some people that have greatness thrust upon them and yeah. they're not ready for it. Right. But I I honestly think because I, I want to believe that everybody I'm a, I'm an optimist at heart, I guess, except when dealing with submarine maintenance, um, <laughs> where it's just like, everyone wants to do a good job. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? Today's the day. I just don't give a shit about doing well. Right. Everybody right. wants to do well at something. And part of, you know, as, as they say, the essence of training is failure without consequence. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're going to, if you're going to take a new chief and you're going to thrust him into greatness, mm. he's going to fail. Right. And that's okay. That's how he's yeah. learning. He's trying to find his wings, his or her wings to figure out this is how, this is, this is the type of leader I'm going to be. Okay. Mm. And, and yeah. I'm going to let you fly chief. And then when, when you get a little bit sideways, my job is to step in and go, let's think about some other things or it's the Cobb's right. job or the CMC's job. Right. But you've got to let them try 
mm-hmm. and you've got to let them fail. Um, but you know, not not so much that it hurts the sailors that they are in charge of. Right. But you've got to let them find their way. And I think we are too impatient. Yeah. Uh, you know, back to the discussion of we are a zero defect mentality. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so now nobody wants to make decisions because no one wants to be wrong because no one right. wants to get, you know, on the other side of that. Yeah. And so we all suffer for it because no one's willing to try. Yeah. I would agree with that. How, how do you, I want to go back to your bell curve comment earlier. Um, how do you, if you're, if you're illustrating that bell curve, is it alarming to you? Is it kind of standard? Is it actually better than we think it is? Like, how do you, how do you find if you're, when you're analyzing the, the messes you've observed, uh, in aggregate, like, how are you, are, are you like, is it is alarm bells going off or is it good? Or is it kind of in the middle? I mean, if you, if I were to take, you know, all the messes I've observed, it's probably in the middle. Um, okay. Now, do I feel like, again, it, it all depends on <laughs> where you are and what you're focused on. And so, yeah. you know, if I sit here and go, well, I've got six boats in my squadron and three of them are occupying a bunch of my time. It's very yeah. easy to say, God, everybody is horrible. No, it's right, just right. the three that are in the net, they're next up in the cycle. And so they've got your attention. You know, the other, the other three are probably doing just as bad or just as good. It's just, where is your focus? And, yeah. and part of it is it's the difficulty of when you go to a place, are you there with judgment? Or are you there with discernment? Cause judgment yeah. is that you're assigning value to what you see and yeah. discernment is just, here's what's going on. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I and would, so it's, I like, I guess it, uh, I, I agree up until the end of the discernment definition, as far as like what I should be doing while I'm there, I guess, like, cause I, I, at, at some point I need to decide whether or not what is, is positively or negatively affecting what we're trying to accomplish. And if it's negatively affecting it, there's, then there's action needed. So that kind of leans towards yeah, the judgment right. side of it, I guess, but. Well, right. I think it's it's important to start with discernment because sure. yeah, a hundred percent. You know, we we have to judge the product, not mm-hmm. the process, because the yeah. process is going to be different for each ship and crew. And so, right. if, you, if, right. if I walk on board going, going, well, I don't see somebody doing this, then yeah, now yeah, I'm yeah, looking yeah. for now I'm like because the way this goes is you don't see the one thing you're used to seeing, right? And then you're like, oh, this boat's all jacked up, and yeah, you start looking yeah. for other things that confirm that they're jacked up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I, I it would could agree just be that that's just not sure. how they do it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So you have to keep an open mind until you get to the end. Okay. Yeah. I would 100% agree with that then. Cause like that's how I tell people when they go into new commands. It's like you should spend like your first two weeks there just observing, just like gathering data. Like, cause you have no idea how they do things there. And like, and I, I picked that up, I think, from going platform to platform every time. Like I went from Los Angeles class to, to uh, Jimmy Carter. So Seawolf plus basically and then from that to an ohio class so it's like it was like i know how to be a submariner but i don't know how to be a submariner on that class of submarine and it's all different and so like every time i would get to the new boat i'd have to like spend time being a learner and so it was like i'd get to a new place and and i started doing it everywhere I, i would go because i'm not familiar with what we're doing here and so it's like, okay, so I'm just sitting back for the first two weeks or more, depending on where I'm at and how, how different it is from what I was doing previously, 
just observing, just like asking questions, observing, taking notes. If I don't understand what they're doing, I ask what they're doing and why they're doing it so that I understand. And then after that time where I feel like I've got a grasp on it, then I'm like, okay, I don't know if this works, you know, like tell me more about this and why you do it this way. Because like what I'm seeing is that like I would do it this way, but the way you're doing it could be fine if it accomplished a result that met the metric or the mission or whatever. But if it doesn't, we need to, we need to work on that. And so like the, the discerning part is for sure, like very, very needed. Um, and, uh, like you were saying, it, it's going to help you kind of figure out like, okay, maybe, maybe they're doing it differently and that, but they're accomplishing the same result or better. And that's fine. As long as, cause that was something I would, I would give to my divisions. I'd be like, like try to get them, empower them to like make decisions. Like you're the one that's going to be in there doing it. How do you want to accomplish this? Because you're the one that has to do it. And as long as we're accomplishing something that meets the requirements of the end goal of the end state that we're striving towards. It's like, I don't care how we get there as long as it's safe and follows the rules. Like as long as you operate in that sandbox, if you get to the same place, however you get there, doesn't, doesn't make any difference to me as long as it's safe, as long as we're following policy and as long as we're meeting the, the required metric, because like I, I would watch people in the galley or just doing anything really. And they would be doing it in a way that was like excruciating for me to watch if I had to be the one doing it. I'm like, oh, God, I hate how they're doing that. But they love how they're doing that. So like if I made them do it my way, it would be excruciating. But they're happier than a pig mm-hmm. and shit doing it the way they're doing it. So who am I to interfere just because I wouldn't like it because I'm not doing it? So, again, as long as like they can take the craziest path ever, as long as they're meeting all the requirements and the safety things and like it's getting done in a timely manner and we're meeting all the required end state metrics. It's like, who gives a shit? Like who cares how they're doing it? Um, and a lot of times if you empower sailors to do that, they'll shock you with their ingenuity and they'll come up with a way more creative and efficient way of doing it. And you're like, Holy shit. I didn't even know you could do it that way, but you're doing, you're meeting all those things, all those, uh, milestones that I just laid out. So it's like, okay, do it that way. Like, that's awesome. Like I, I would have never known. And now I have something to share with other people about like, Hey, I saw this kid on this one boat that did it this way. And I would see that during SMIs, like, what are you doing? And they would like explain to me what they were doing. I'm like, Holy shit. Like I would have never thought of that. I'm like, that's really cool. And so, yeah, the discernment thing, it's not even just to reserve like early and like unqualified judgment. It's also like you can learn some shit. Like you could like be surprised by people doing it a new and exciting way that you can then take to the other boats that you go to and be like, well, you should go over to the USS whatever because they're doing this crazy new way and it's really cool. Or, you know, push out lessons learned saying, hey, this boat figured out this really, you know, ingenious way of accomplishing this thing. But yeah, no, I would agree with that 100%. Um, anything we haven't touched on yet? That you had on your your life's to do list for today, I feel like we've hit everything I um, had in my brain. But you know, we we we've hit a bunch. I think, uh, yeah. you know, if you, if I had to give a wrap up thing, you know, for yeah. for all the chief selects that I'm sure are listening and all the of course, yeah. you know, and all the and all the all the folks that are out there running seasons, it's just, um, you know, you're going to go and be a chief wield that authority with mighty fury. You know, we're going to give you an anchor. We're going to give you a division. Mm -hmm. Um, It's your division. Run it. Like I said, at the beginning, 
you, no one has to tell you it's okay to lead. You just have to decide you're going to do it. So yeah. do it. Do what takes the best care of your kids. You know, what trains them to be you. Um, yeah, you'll fail, you'll stumble, and that's okay. We'll pick up. Mm-hmm. The quarters will rally around you. Um, if you need help, ask for it. Don't you know? Don't flail on your own. Yeah. But be the chief. You want to have the big black pickup truck and the skull and crossbone sticker? <laughs> well, go ahead and do those Please things. Don't. Please don't. <laughs> we don't need any more memes. <laughs> I mean, oh, chief God. is such a powerful position in the Navy and it, and it blows yeah. my mind that they don't want to use the power that we entrust in them sometimes because, right. and it's not because they're bad people. I think they're just scared to fail and, and that's yeah. human nature and it's okay. You're in a new yeah. role. You're going to fail and that's all right. Shit. I'm, 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 I've been in for 25 years and I feel like I fail yeah. on a daily basis, yeah. but I've got people yeah. around me that help me and try to keep me from failing too much, you know, and that's, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, that's kind of like a, if there was a one word summary for my entire career, it would be that it was like, like I got to where I was because I had people that were willing to pick me up when I face planted and I did and, and support me and teach me and help me get to where I ended up, which is still shocking to this day that I retired with two stars over my anchor, like, because I was very much the guy that thought I was going to peak as a chief rank wise because I was vocal and I used that power and I like advocated and argued and said things I might not, I might've pushed the envelope a little too far sometimes, but um, it was shocking to me for that reason. Cause I was willing to go to war with everybody uh, that I didn't like push it <laughs> one bridge too far and, and end up kind of getting pigeonholed in that rank because I wasn't popular and because maybe I got insubordinate or, uh, you know, just became, uh, the causer of discord <laughs> in my command. And it's just like, um, but when I did it, I mean, I, it, what I would find would happen was the, the CMCs and cobs that I've just, I'm describing like, and maybe I got lucky just right place in time. And I think that definitely played a role, but, um, those people would find me. It was like, I was shooting up a flare, you know what I mean? And they would find me and be like, this guy gets it, you know? And they would throw gas on that fire and be like, no, keep doing what you're doing. Even when they tell you not to. Um, and it was, it was interesting to me because I always, I was waiting for the anvil to fall on my head. Cause I was sure it was coming, you know, like I was like, eventually somebody high up there is no, going to get sick of my shit and just be like, Pfft. yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, uh, it's a, it's a discussion I've had with other people. It's like, cause I'm very much the same way. Like I say, mm. I point out things that I don't agree with. Um, and I throw things out there and it's like, okay, yeah. look, you can be annoyed by me. Um, yeah. but are you annoyed because I'm talking or are you annoyed because I'm wrong? Yeah. Right. Right. And, and if you're just annoyed because I'm talking, well, okay then. Then tough shit. <laughs> Sit there and be annoyed. <laughs> because like, yeah, like if you and that's something that I feel like is is the the steel man of that position is like the the armor that you have is is I'm open to you proving me wrong. So go ahead, prove me wrong. Like, and that's not like a an empty challenge where no matter what you say, I'm just gonna disagree with you anyway. Like, no, really. Like you can, if you can really prove me wrong, I will change my position. Like I'm always open to somebody explaining something to me and me being like, oh shit. Like I'm about to write a white paper about graybeards. I didn't come up with that idea. Like your name will be in it as crediting you as like giving me the good idea moment. But like, (laughs) 
the yeah it's like the the if you can change my mind change my mind like i'm i'm 100 open to anyone doing that and what i find is when you make that invitation it's like challenging somebody to a fight out by the swing set at three o'clock it's like after school it's like most people aren't showing up to that and it's like so you do that and when you open yourself up to that attack you're like oh no go ahead attack my position I'm I'm 100% open to that. They're like, oh, well, you know, and then they just don't, they don't have anything to say because it's almost like, like chiefs that may or may not disagree with me. It's like they, if, if they were to try to vocalize that, it's like, there's no cogent argument to it. Most of the time, there are some people that will, will have those conversations with me and be like, and it's very like cordial, like, Hey man, I just want, I like, I don't know how I feel about what you said there. And here's what I'm thinking. And we'll talk about it. And maybe I need, just needed to clarify my position. Maybe they clarify theirs. And I'm like, no, that's a good point. I didn't really think about it like that. And, and it's that type of a conversation, but that's, those are the only ones that ever happen because those other people are not willing to, to argue their point because it's almost like they know it's baseless you know it's almost like they know they're wrong but they feel like they need to argue for the organization that they're a part of because they're a part of it and that's the whole argument you know and it's just like come on man be better like you know you you, a lot of them know better already and and what i find is there's a lot of silent allies in the mess that aren't going to come out and they're not going to come be on the podcast. They're not going to like vocalize how their feelings in the mess necessarily, but they'll email me and they'll be like, Hey, I really love your podcast. Like, you know what I mean? And, but like, I, I, and I talk about that sometimes too. I'm like, you like the reason why the mess isn't changing the way that we all want it to is because you're not speaking up because it's not just you. It's there's a, a million of you, you know, like in your mess, 75% of the people in there probably feel the same way, but because no one's saying it out loud, everybody's just sitting there maintaining the status quo. And it's like, if somebody would just have the courage to speak up, you'd see a whole lot of people agreeing with you. And then you'd see the culture of your mess change. And it's like, what are we doing? Why? Like, just speak up. And what's the worst that can happen? You know, like you get ostracized a little bit, like, okay, I spent my whole career being that guy and it went fine. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's uh, like, like I, I, I've, I keep saying, just decide to be a leader. Just decide. 100%. Rampaging horde of standards and expertise is going to be the title of this episode. <laughs> That's yes. one of the best lines <laughs> I've ever heard. Um, thank you so much for doing this. This was super fun. Um, I we definitely need to do another another uh, Q&A one. I'll, I just got to get around to getting the questions uh, put together. But yeah, this was super fun. I've been trying to focus more on individual stuff lately just because I feel like I got away from what I um, originally intended the podcast to be a little bit, um, where I was just very interview heavy. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm trying to like refocus a little bit, but I definitely want to do that. Cause I, that, yeah, that's a very popular episode. So I feel like there's a lot of value added to the people that listen. So, but yeah, man, thank you. This was fun. <laughs> this was cathartic. No, no I'll, I'll, yeah, always, always glad to be it, to be a part of it. And, uh, yeah, you're, you uh, you're raging against the raging against the machine out there on uh on the interwebs, but you're you're not alone in a lot of your thoughts. So yeah, well, yeah. Well, thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. All right, I hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, I had a great time because, of course, I did. <laughs> it's hard to not when getting to have conversations like that, um, and because we're in the midst of this of the season, and I've been in the midst of 
tackling all these things with the memos, talking to Chief Slacks about all these things, like it was very much at the forefront of my mind and something that I just thought his perspective would be really valuable. Turns out it was to me especially, but I think it will be very valuable to the audience. Um, and I'm, I'm very much interested to hear from you uh, if you have different ideas or um, just what you thought of the episode. As always, hit us up, don't give up shit podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us, don't give up shit podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram, Reddit, or Discord at DGIS Podcast. If you want to support us, you can go to DGISPodcast.com. There's a donate button on the website in the upper right hand corner, or you can go to Don't Give Up Ship Apparel. That's DGUTSApparel.com. Get yourself some naval pride and heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Or you can go to patreon.com slash podcast, pick one of the five tiers and become a member today. It helps us pay the bills, expand the platform, uh, and do all kinds of, of other cool things. Uh, so if you can do that, we would really, really appreciate it. If you can't spend any money, no big deal. Um, you can do all the other things that you would typically do for a digital creator. Just go to all the platforms, social media. You can go to YouTube and subscribe. Uh, you can review us on podcast platforms, follow us on social media, share the posts, tag your friends, all the things like send links to the podcast to your friends, whatever, whatever's easiest for you makes the most sense. Um, all of it helps. All of it helps with organic growth and just getting the, the material to the people that need it. Uh, so we really appreciate it if you can do any of those things, including just listening. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. Hey, shout out to all our level five patrons, Victoria Livingood, William McIver, and Mark Galagos, all our other patrons. We really appreciate your support. Helps to pay all the bills, expand the platform, and we couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much.